listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Leland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community healthcare. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of Pharmacy Crossroads, where our goal is to provide information and inspiration that will help independent community pharmacies do more and be better. I'm excited to introduce to you a guest who comes from a different background than that which we typically uh, interview. So Chuck Forsaith is with the and we're going to introduce you to a couple new acronyms, the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, or HDA, and he's a vice president there, and he's also chairman of something that goes by the acronym PCSA, and I'm going to have Chuck tell us a little bit more about his background and what those acronyms mean and how that helps you as an independent pharmacy owner. So, Chuck, hello and welcome to Pharmacy Crossroads. Who are you and where did you come from? I've been involved in pharmaceutical supply chain security now for a little bit more than 20 years. I worked for a pharmaceutical manufacturer for about 16 years before I joined what's known as the Healthcare Distribution Alliance back in 2017. And in a little bit, I'll explain to you what the HDA actually is. Prior to going to work for that manufacturer, I served for approximately 21 years as both a New Hampshire municipal and state police officer. After I retired from that government service, I worked in the United States military. I ran security operations for a military intelligence gathering installation. For the HDA, um, as Bruce had indicated, I managed the security arm of that organization. And that security arm is known as the Pharmaceutical Cargo Security Coalition, or PCSC. The PCSC consists of a number of individuals from a wide variety of disciplines who monitor the security of pharmaceutical goods, both in transit and in storage, pretty much all over the world. In that capacity, I've lectured both domestically and internationally in the disciplines of supply chain security and site security for organizations like the Department of Justice, the FDA, DEA, Homeland Security, CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, United States Customs, and the Partnership for Safe Medicines. I've been an active member of the American Society of Industrial Security, uh, Transported Asset Protection Association, Overseas Security Advisory Council, and the National Association of Drug and Diversion Investigators. Right now, I live up up in Rhode Island. 
the uh, I don't work out of our corporate headquarters in, in Arlington. I live in Rhode Island, right on the seacoast. I enjoy both boating and fishing in my spare time. Well, uh, I mean, that's a that's a very impressive background. And it sounds like you must be 100 years old with all that experience, all those different organizations. But but I know you're not half that. So um, we are delighted to have you. And as I've told our listeners in the in the ramp up here, we're going to be talking about pharmacy, pharmaceutical security. And um, you, we, we've both mentioned HGA, the Healthcare Distribution Alliance. Um, I'll just take a minute to provide some background there because I spent some time there. I, I was working for that same organization in the mid-90s when it was known as the National Wholesale Druggist Association. And uh, we represented uh, the wholesalers in the, uh, in the country. And as our listeners know, there used to be 50, 60 full-line, full-service wholesalers, and uh, now there's uh, less than a dozen of those. So the organization has morphed and uh, let a lot of other people associated with pharmaceutical distribution into the organization and expanded its mission to one that includes you as to how do we keep the stuff that we're filling prescriptions with safe and make sure it's uh, it what's in the bottle is what the patient needs. And then this new issue that um, at least surprised me is uh, the st- the scale scams that are going on in the business. So uh, with that as a background, you know, tell us a little bit about what this PCSA does and why it's essential. The the PCSC, I founded it myself actually back in 2006 when I was working for that manufacturer. And it, it related to, there were a number of high profile supply chain disruptions, mostly thefts that it occurred involving manufacturers and, and involving distributors as well. And at the time there was no clearinghouse for all of that type of intelligence. So I got together with a bunch of my friends. Most of the guys that are in pharmaceutical security are fellows or gals that have prior law enforcement or military experience. So we all know each other from a private, uh, you know, from a prior life. So we get together as a group, there was probably about 30 of us, and we sat down one day and and said, look, it's time to get a handle on this before the feds come to us and they tell us what they want us to do. It would be much better, it would look much better if we took the initiative ourselves. So we formed this very small coalition at the time. That coalition has grown from 30 people in a room to well over 1,300 people now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's got manufacturers, distributors, retailers. It has pretty much everybody that moves product, all the transportation entities, the insurers that insure those goods as they move around. And we've included all of the federal regulatory agencies and law enforcement agencies that work through that. We're primarily focused on sharing intelligence, again, acting as a clearinghouse. And, and that dovetails into exactly what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, this in this fraud case uh, or these fraud cases that are affecting the industry. The HDA in this instance, much like it did before, kind of acts as a central point of information and information dissemination. And it works quite well. It, it allows us to be able to bridge a lot of the gaps 
that you would normally see in, in anyone's supply chain. I mean, it exists not only in our industry, but in other industries as well. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, or the HDA. HDA represents the interest of drug wholesalers and other providers of healthcare products that serve the needs of the nation's pharmacies and other providers. Their mission is to ensure the supply chain meets the needs of their customers. Now, back to our program. So that's all a high level. Let's now bring it down to what matters to our listener. Um, what, what kind of scams are going on and um, just kind of describe what's happening out there that has brought us together today. Okay. Since December of 2020, there have been reports of both distributors as well as several of their pharmacy customers receiving either telephone calls or emails as part of a fairly sophisticated phishing scam to unlawfully divert pharmaceutical goods. These scams, these, the types that we're experiencing now actually go back a ways. They, the same type of activity was occurring back between 2006 and 2010. And in that time frame, the, the scams were largely focused on one particular type of product and it was diabetic testing treatments. But in recent times, that has expanded. The, the scammers are actually targeting a number of other Lots of pharmaceutical goods, uh, defibrillator machines, stethoscopes, blood pressure monitors, HIV drugs, things like that. Well, and, and let ahead. me interrupt here. I mean, clearly, we're not talking opioids or scheduled drugs, right? We're talking other items that at least our antenna would not be up as strong on. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking mainline stuff and expensive stuff. Is that the idea? Yes, you're, you're correct in that opiates are not one of the types of drugs that are that are targeted by these people. The products that are that are targeted right now are targeted for a number of reasons, but one of the principal reasons they're targeted is because this particular type of scam is considered a nonviolent crime. And there's a very low probability of incarceration for a crime like this if these individuals are actually caught. Uh, the individuals are making calls, identifying themselves as employees or affiliates of both ends of the supply chain, either a particular distributor or a pharmacy customer, in an attempt to secure account or other sensitive information, including specific account information or logon credentials or employees' names associated with accounts, contact email addresses, pharmacy license numbers, things like that. And the scammers ultimately use that information to engineer uh, a product diversion uh, or a misshipment or a reclamation of what they're telling uh, these people is a defective product when in fact it's not. It is known primarily as social engineering or the use of deception to manipulate individuals into, develop, into divulging you know, confidential information things like account numbers, things like passwords, things, things that are going to get these people into, into the business aspect or the business relationship between a distributor and a retail entity or between a distributor and a manufacturer or a retail entity and a manufacturer, things like that. The, uh, there, are, there are three primary 
types of this fraud. I'll go through, I'll give you the 40,000 foot view of each one of those three. And then we'll go into a little bit more as to how these scammers actually operate. Thank you. The, the most prevalent one and the most lucrative one for the scammers at this particular point in time is a scheme in which the scammer first poses as a legitimate pharmacy to place an order from a distributor. Uh, and through social engineering, through spoofing, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes, they're able to um, really make it look like that the pharmacy is contacting the distributor, whether it's by phone or by email. They place the order. When the distributor sends the product to the pharmacy, the scammer then contacts the pharmacy and now poses as the distributor in a very similar way. I mean, in a way where when the pharmacy looks at the phone and looks at the callback number and listens to the person talking and hears account information that's actually accurate, they think they're actually talking to the distributor. And the bad guys tell the pharmacy, look, you've got a shipment coming your way, pretty good size. Uh, it's being shipped to you in error. You weren't supposed to get it. It's a mistake on our part. So when you receive it, set it aside, and we will have someone come and pick that up. Uh, and they will, they will make sure that the shipment comes back to us. No harm, no foul on your part. You're not going to be charged for anything or anything like that at all. Just when you receive it, uh, you'll recognize it. It'll be something that you haven't ordered. Uh, just set it aside, and we'll have somebody come and pick it up. And then the bad guys contact a local courier uh, who's completely unwitting in this, in this entire scam. And they tell the, the scammer, they pretend to be the distributor, and they tell, they tell the, uh, the courier to go get it. And then they tell the courier where it's to be sent. And obviously, it's not to be sent back to the distributor. It's sent to another location altogether different, and the drugs disappear. So the, the courier that is coming to pick it up will typically be the normal carrier courier who delivers their pharmaceutical products? No, because the normal courier that would deliver the pharmaceutical product would be familiar with the way that works. Okay. So what they'll do is they'll get, they'll get someone else. They, uh, eventually, the, the shipment will work its way into normal distribution channels. And by that, I mean, you know, something like a FedEx or a UPS. But by that time, the address has already changed. The delivery address has already changed. And the larger courier entity has no idea that all of, this, all of these changes have occurred before they actually touch it. So the scammer ends up with a lot of product. What does he do with that product? That's the $64 million question. Nobody knows. At this particular point in time, we do not know. I mean, th this is an active, this is an active, these are active criminal investigations. There's certain things I can tell you and certain things that I can't. Uh, there are leads in these cases that are leading us to the individuals that are involved, potentially the products that have been taken. But at this particular point in time, there hasn't been any recovery of product. Interesting. So what's no, what's example number two? Example number two is, a, is what we call a product recall fraud. The scammers will call a pharmacy uh, posing to be a manufacturer. The individual that calls poses to be an employee of a legitimate manufacturer. 
and they tell the pharmacy that there has been a product recall. And to take that particular product, whichever they choose that they're interested in, to take that particular product and set it aside and that a courier will come and pick it up. No cost to the pharmacy, uh, but it's an active, they describe it as an active product recall in either that phone conversation or that email uh, conversation. And then they'll follow that up with a letter. And the letter will have on, it will have the actual manufacturer's letterhead. And it will confirm what was talked about in the phone call saying this particular product is due for recall, set it aside. We will come and get it. It's not going to cost you anything to do that. Uh, and as in the first fraud that I described, a local courier, completely unwitting, is contacted and told to go to the pharmacy, pick up this particular shipment and start that routing uh, back, supposedly back to the manufacturer. But as in the case of the routing that was going to go back to the distributor, the addresses are changed and the product vanishes, the product disappears. So in this case, two questions arise. Number one is that is the scammer is going to end up with open bottles. Is, is that correct? Not necessarily. No, I mean, it, the that's a possibility, but most likely it's going to be whatever the whole product is that the that the pharmacy actually has in their inventory. And that, then. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Ahead. Well, and then number two, did they did they instruct them to contact patients and alert the patients or is this kind of uh, behind the scenes from any kind of patient notification? There's nothing like that at all. That that makes for the bad guy, that makes this too complicated and there's too many opportunities yeah. at that point to be discovered. So no, that, that does not, to our knowledge, that does not happen. And, and typically this letter or communication would be for a singular product from a singular manufacturer. So this the scope has got to be much more limited. Would be or not be. It, in certain instances, there's been a couple of instances where it involves more than one product. The uh, but it typically doesn't involve you know multiple multiple products. The uh, yeah. most often it's targeted at one particular type of product. Um, so you've surprised me twice. What's the third surprise? Third surprise is the scammer will call uh, a pharmacy posing as, again, a legitimate distributor. And in this conversation, what the, what the scammer will do is he will tell, he or she will tell the pharmacy, look, um, payment terms have changed. Your payments back to us uh, have changed. The ACH number or the account number or whatever has changed. And you are now to make payments to this particular ACH or this particular account. And they sound legitimate. I mean, when they make, I'm going to go through this here in a second, but they sound perfectly legitimate. And in certain instances, the person that operates the pharmacy is duped into the fact that uh, they are now making payments to an account that is not where those payments are supposed to go. Uh, several pharmacies have been caught that way. And, and I mean, in that case, the, the payment simply goes off to the scammer and the 
the supplier and the pharmacy are both left naked, right? That is correct. That is exactly correct. So clearly central to this, and, and again, I recognize it's sensitive, but you, you keep emphasizing that the people who are making these calls know the lingo and, you know, and understand what's going on and are able to, I, I would imagine, over multiple uh, uh, phone calls and communications, capture a little bit of information here, a little bit there. They're not stupid enough to call and ask for everything at the same time. Is that kind of one of the problems of detecting this? Yes. There's, there are a number of different human elements that the scammers uh, uh, exploit or exhibit. I'll give you a couple examples. I mean, through phone conversations with either a distributor or a pharmacy representative, the scammers may appear overly confident, impatient, even pushy, essentially acting more aggressively in an attempt to get an order processed than what would normally be expected. In certain instances, the scammer may, may attempt to convey a sense of urgency, you know, which may lead the representative to be sympathetic, uh, and let down their guard. In such an attempt, the scammer tries to appeal to the representative's emotions by saying things, you know, hey, we really need this. I mean, we're out of supplies. Through email communications, the scammers frequently will spoof a legitimate email address uh, simply by adding a single letter or a sequence of letters, uh, you know, where like an S or a period or an ink or something like that will be added. Right. In all of these conversations, the goal of the scammer is to gain control of that shipment without obviously without having to pay for it and to divert that parcel to a different address. They are very, very adept at leading a person they are speaking with to give them information that they normally would not. The, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll provide blanks or gaps uh, and entice the individual, whoever it is they're talking to, whether it's a distributor or whether it's a pharmacy, to fill in those gaps in a very innocent sort of a way. Uh, having been a police officer and testified in a number of trials, from traffic tickets all the way up to homicides, uh, when you're on the stand, these are, these are known as leading questions. Questions uh, that, that you sitting on the stand or that you on the other end of that phone or the other end of that email feel compelled to be able to finish or compelled to be able to complete, you know, providing information that, that was not necessarily requested or correcting, you know, a scammer could indicate and say something to the effect of, you know, the account numbers, da, 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 da. And uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I think the account numbers, da, 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 da. And the and the person on the other end of the line very innocently says, "No, that's not that's not the account number. This is the account." Or you know, they could call and say, "Look, we're testing the system here. The ability to test the system or this this ordering process requires us to know somebody's password. I mean, we we need a password to be able to get into the system to be able to to tell us that it's operating the way it's supposed to be operating." And, and the caller ID on the phone will say it's their their primary supplier or whatever. They're smart enough to do that. When you look at the phone, the telephone number that you're looking at uh, corresponds directly to who that business entity is that you're doing business with. 
Uh, so, they, the bad guys yeah. have social engineered the locations. They know, they know the addresses. They know certain names of people that either work at that pharmacy or customer service representatives that work for the distributor through past conversations. So they're able to, they're able to, to fraudulently portray themselves as the real deal, as, as the real thing. And as they're scrambling to give COVID shots and COVID tests and fill prescriptions and sort out PBM issues, uh, the confidence that comes from the names and the phone numbers and all that stuff just, I, I mean, it just boggles my mind, the homework that they've done in order to make this slide through. So what's a pharmacist supposed to do? If I owned a pharmacy, what do I do with my staff tomorrow morning? And uh, what ideas have you got for me to, to help put an end to this affecting my pharmacy at least? Okay, I'm going to go down through a list. As we've discussed, you and I, Bruce, there is a a fraud alert document that the HDA slash PCSC has put together. Uh, I'm going to share that with you. You can very easily share that with your listeners, but I'll go down this list uh, to give you an idea or to give the pharmacy pharmacies ideas of how to prevent this from happening. If your pharmacy receives a suspicious call asking for account information or any type of distributor log on credentials, the pharmacy representative taking the call should ask the caller for their name, their phone number, and just simply hang up. Immediately after that call, the representative should report the details to their respective known distributor sales representative and request some form of authentication. If the call is in fact deemed suspicious, the pharmacy should then notify the state board of pharmacy. Pharmacy should protect their account information, their logon credentials, their license numbers, their employee email addresses, those are all privileged and private business information. All pharmacy personnel should be instructed not to share any of this information with anyone calling into the pharmacy. It's important to remember that a, the distributor would very would rarely, if ever, call you to request that type of private information. If a vendor calls the pharmacy, a pharmacy representative should call the vendor back directly using distributor account information they already have or can reference. Take the time to verify all open orders with any distributor partner. If you do not see an order in computerized tallies that's being referenced in a call that's being made to you, then frauds most likely happen. If an individual purporting to be a representative of your distributor reports a defective product, call your distributor's customer support line and try to get that confirmed. Confirm all wire payment requests with a known distributor representative before you make that payment. Only release a return after you receive a proper designated return authorization from either your distributor or manufacturer partner. The only courier that should be permitted to pick up returns should be your pharmacy's regular contracted distributor driver. Call your distributor sales representative or the distributor's customer support line. If a courier company shows up and that courier company is not the regular courier that you're used to dealing with. And make sure your pharmacy staff is aware 
of of this type of fraud. I mean, you know, whether it's a, a you know an all hands type of meeting or constant reminders, you know, through emails, so that they are prepared to respond appropriately should a scammer actually make a phone call. So that's the fraud alert that comes from HDA, the Health Distribution Alliance. Uh, if you care to have a copy of that, send me an email at B as in Bruce, F as in Frank, Neeland, K-N-E-E-L-A-N-D, D as in dog, at gmail.com. Just put scam alert in the subject line, and I'll email, uh, email you back a copy of that. Um, Chuck, so the last question, and uh, we are coming up on the end of our time here, is if if I'm if I'm an owner and I get scammed with a fake order that I gave to a fake courier for you know fifty sixty thousand um, dollars, am I just out that money? <laughs> that again is the sixty four thousand dollar question. Fault in these cases could fall in a variety of different places. I mean, you could be. Conceivably, you could be a pharmacy that was duped, have an employee that was duped into giving up uh, important credentials that allowed the scammer to do you know, what they do. Yeah. It could very easily be on the other end. It could very easily be a distributor that's duped in a similar way. Uh, it could be a reverse distributor that's duped that way. Each and every one of those cases uh, is a little bit different and where fault lies and where, um, you know, who is made whole and how they're made whole is different in each one of those cases. You mentioned the fact that, you know, in the case you talk about that, you know, the loss was $50,000. I can tell you that, that in a large number of these cases, the losses exceed over a million dollars. And for a small mom and pop pharmacy, I mean, a loss like that, if they, if they were the ones that were required to, to repay that, could literally wipe them out. So this is one of the reasons why we are making this effort through you and through all of the pharmacy industry associations, NABP, NCPA, ASHP, APHA, AAP. I mean, we're going to everybody and we're trying as best as we can, while the law enforcement people toil at this investigation, I think that we can defeat this uh, through education, through telling people what's going on, arming their employees with that knowledge and being able to put a significant crimp in how these folks are doing their illicit activity. Well, it, it, you know, this certainly doesn't come under the category of good news or uplifting news, but it's it is important information. And, um, you know, the, the thing that gives me some hope is that pharmacy owners are exceptionally good at managing details. They keep track of all of the information essential to make sure that they're getting the right drug to the right person. I, I, I think what this means is they just need to put some of that same kind of thinking into controlling and managing their supply chain issues as well. And, and their, their uh, technicians and clerks and bookkeepers 
uh, just need to be aware and 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 taught and uh, monitored to make sure that uh, all of these things that are on your list are just ingrained to the DNA of the pharmacy. So with that. Chuck, is there some final piece of information or request that you would make of my Pharmacy Crossroads listeners? If it doesn't look or sound like the way you normally do business, it probably isn't. The, uh, if I had anything to share with you at all, if anything in, in your business-related act, uh, activities with your business partners isn't typical of the way that you've done business in the past, question it. Don't carry through with it. Question it. Uh, that is the, one of the best ways of stopping this from actually happening. Um, and I, I, if there was one piece of just general advice that isn't going to cost you anything specifically, uh, be smart. If, if it doesn't look like the way you normally do business, don't question it. Contact someone that you know from a business associate that you do business with, someone that you know and you trust, and say, look, I was just asked to do this. Does this make any sense? Are you, are you making me do this? And, uh, and that, I think, will, will stand you quite well. Uh, that sounds like good advice. So just to recap a couple things. So HDA is an industry acronym that plays a big role in your life. It stands for Health Care Distribution Alliance. It is the group that is uh, the trade association for the distributors in the industry. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes just think that the distributors like turning the electricity on. It just happens. But what goes on behind the scenes at a uh, at a drug wholesaler or distributor is uh, mind boggling. And um, and this is just a little piece of it. Um, so with that, I'm going to say thanks to Chuck Forsaith for your time and for the work that you and your organization does. And to my Pharmacy Crossroads listeners, keep up the good work and continue to look for ways to do more and be better. That's it for Pharmacy Crossroads today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>